You're listening to Scape Talk. This is Mr. Bistro, and joining me is Screaming Truth. Hello, all. And welcome to a brand new format for the Scape Talk podcast. Previously, you all are very much used to Screaming Truth uh, coming to you with a guest or two. Now, with our new format, it'll be the two of us doing this together. Truth was unfortunately foolish enough to let me on and do this full time. I'm very glad to have you. You're, you're much funnier, uh, more handsome, more intelligent, and, and overall better at HeroScape than I am. Well, all of these things are, in fact, true, which is, uh, <laughs> which is good. Uh, the new format should be quite exciting. We've got a lot of stuff that we're going to be trying to bring to you, including news from the board gaming world in general. We'll definitely be taking a look at HeroScape with loving devotion each podcast, but we're going to branch out and be bringing to you uh, news from the outside world as well. I'm very excited about that because that means a couple of things. It means that we're broadening our audience. We can pull in some more gamers. And it also means that, uh, you know, we'll be doing game reviews. We'll be broadening your horizons, perhaps, if you just play Scape and, and are listening and looking to get into other cool games in that vein. All right, so let's talk about some HeroScape in the news. There's been a lot of changes lately. Since the last podcast, we've got a whole other company working on HeroScape. Now, of course, this brought about uh, a little uh, nervousness, uh, perhaps some sick feelings. Some people were uh, uh, shaking their hands and screaming for a little bit there. The Wizards some of the Outrage. <laughs> outrage, yes, shaking their fist at the sky. Um, but Wizards of the Coast has taken over the development and distribution of HeroScape. Huge news. And I think whenever you have a move that is that big and that huge, you're bound to have people who are just afraid. You know, for some people, they live, breathe HeroScape. You know, they spend a lot of time talking about HeroScape, you know, getting together with other HeroScapers. So to have news come down the pipe that, oh, all of a sudden, lead designer Craig Van Ness is no longer on the game and it's over at Wizards of the Coast. Obviously, anybody who knows the industry or anybody who just who, who just knows HeroScape is going to be a little bit afraid of such a big change. And myself included, I, I definitely had my doubts going in. But I got to say, man, um, what little they've done so far, most any doubt has just been has just been washed away. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first thought was, okay, no more Craig. Uh, that that's a terrible thing. This is, you know, they've done such a great job in Hero Escape. But then we start to hear news. No, Craig will still be involved, just in a slightly different way. He'll still be giving us feedback and information. That right there is very reassuring to me. But when you also take into account that we have since Heroescape's inception, we've had great difficulties just getting our hands on it. It's been tough getting it in stores. And Wizards has a great track record of being able to get the product to people, get it to the stores. Yeah, the distribution problems have plagued Heroescape from the beginning. It's it, They've done a lot of things where like marketing will decide to pack two uh, uniques for every one comment, which just doesn't work. You know, and, and Wizards, I think more of Wizards people understand hobby gaming. I, I feel like Hasbro, the people who are on marketing or used to be on marketing or whatever, maybe... Uh, from past experience, uh, it had some preconceptions going in that didn't necessarily ring true for HeroScape. I think HeroScape's a little bit different animal than Hasbro had ever handled before. Right. The marketing was almost like it was for toys rather than a game. Right. I think we'll see a lot of that mature at Wizards. I think this is something they're used to handling. 
Absolutely. And of course, one of the, the, the big things that comes along with the Wizards' changeover is how will they be releasing product, how will it be packaged. Uh, one of the big things that really had people a little freaked out was that uh, two big sets that were coming out soon, uh, Takala Jungle and Aquila's Alliance, uh, might not be released, or at least not uh, released as they were originally planned. Uh, we just got news, uh, fantastic news, that they will be coming out, as far as I know, more or less, as they were originally planned, and that is fantastic news for Heroescapers, uh, especially the fact that Takala Jungle will be uh, packed in larger numbers than Aquila's Alliance. So that big problem we've always had uh, will be no more, and we'll be able to get our hands in that jungle uh, all the more easier. Yeah, the problem was that the palm trees, I guess, are expensive to make. And wizards wanted a higher profit margin, I think, than what was going to be available to them with those expensive trees in there. And I think that they've they've just gone ahead and, you know, bit the bull a little bit and decided to go for a smaller profit margin to make the fans happy and give them what was originally, you know, promised them. Sure. And I think that's... An amazing move on their part, you know, both because it's going to sell in massive amounts and therefore help with any problems they would have had with profit margin. Just It's the set that's most excited fans, I think, from the very beginning as far as terrain goes. Well, it's clearly a lot more elaborate. I mean, you compare it to the pine trees, there are two pieces, a, a giant green chunk and then a, a brown base. Uh, they're definitely very different. Um, and it's it's funny because Hasbro has always kept their terrain very simple right up until now until this actually gets handed over to Wizards. Uh, they've always done very simple terrain in the past. And then, of course, they did their most complex piece right before um, all of their work went over to Wizards. So that's, that's kind of funny. I'm sure in the future, though, we'll probably see a return to slightly simpler terrain. Uh, speaking of, of other terrain, too, of course, one of the first things we heard from Wizards was that they were interested in doing other terrain packs. Um, and we got to see a little mock-up on Heroescapers.com of a possible desert terrain pack, um, which is interesting. I know some people were saying, oh, I don't know how I feel about desert. I could sort of do that on my own. Yes, but this is a, a great sign that Wizards is really thinking of all the different ways they could branch this out. Uh, this could really grow in a way that we just we haven't seen before which is nice. Yeah, there's definitely some some mixed reception to those desert terrain photos. And and I think a lot of people just kind of missed what Wizards was saying they wanted to do, and that was that they wanted to offer something to the hobby shops that was a, a decent amount of terrain, enough to get them started you know, with terrain, where they could go out and they could just buy a few individual booster packs and a terrain pack, and they would have what it takes to play. That uh, they didn't have to buy in on the master set, or, or and it was also they wanted to give the the hobby shop an exclusive. I, I think there was a lot of a lot of things that they were thinking about with that. You know, I I can see both sides. One side is like, hey man, if it if it makes you money, if it gets you if it gets you in the right places and gets the right people buying it, then great. And the other side is, you know, why not do something some new desert terrain piece you know some new mold and we'll see what they do with that so far they've been extremely responsive to fan input so 
Uh, we'll see where they go with that. I think it's very much up in the air right now. I think it's a positive. It just means they're they're looking at all the different options they have. They're broadening their scope for what Hasbro is doing. It might not just be the usual linear release we're used to. It might not just be, you know, this release is next, and this release is next, this release is next. They might have other things coming out at the same time. Well, we're going to send these out to the the retailers. They'll have their own thing going on. This, these are our main releases here. Uh, I think it's a great sign. If, if they want to broaden it and expand the scope a little bit, uh, that'll be good with me. They're doing a lot to to kind of rethink some approaches or think of some new approaches, but at the same time, they're they're doing a lot to listen to to the fans and to listen to the people who have been working on the game. For example, not many people know this, but I've been working on HeroScape for a while at Hasbro. I, I work on on writing for HeroScape. I write uh, some of the bios that you've seen uh, and the last two chapters of of Thorman's journal that you've seen everything after chapter two. And I've worked on some card design. I've been a play tester for a while in switching over wizards immediately gave me a call. There was a whole conference of people and they all wanted to talk about how I felt about where HeroScape was going. They wanted to talk about, you know, how should we introduce this to the fans? Uh, they were, they were greatly and immediately concerned with what the fans thought. And as a freelancer on the game, what I thought about, direction and stuff like that and to this day i get emails from paul and from henry stern wanting to know okay what do you think about doing this with this future thing and 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 that's been great for me i i you know it's just this whole new level of involvement that i'm very excited about one of the things that we heard that was kind of surprising was they said they were going to um, lean on their play testers a lot for feedback and information uh, as a playtester, uh, is that true? I mean, are they going to be going to the playtesters a yeah, lot? Yeah, they, they, and they have. Yep, they definitely have. There was just a thread in, in the playtest forum about Wave 10 and, and some perspective layouts for Wave 10 and what we thought, and, and there's, been a, there's been a conversation going about that. And we just finished up Wave 9 uh, playtesting. Wow. And, right, and Wave 9 is so exciting. It's so exciting. I I can say with confidence that I think it's the best wave to hear HeroScape yet. Really? Uh, once you guys see this, it, it's just got the perfect blend of figures. Um, all the sculpts are great. Uh, all the powers are great. And and this is the first wave. And maybe I maybe I'm a little bit biased because this is the first wave that you know I've had a, a great big hand in. A, I'm leading the playtest forums now, and, and I'm in charge of finalizing all the units. And I really think that we knocked it out of the park with getting all these units. Um, Priced right and exciting. I also got to design three units for um, for Wave Nine. I, I got. To, now, to... I, I believe you said earlier that Wave Nine was going to expand on the Doggin Army, correct? <laughs> it's like all Doggins. <laughs> we have three packs for the Doggins, and the other pack is like um, a Doggin Handler, I think. That's fantastic. That's we're, we're really going to see Dune shine now. That's that's great. Yeah, don't count on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, it's great that they're going to you. I mean, that, that's fantastic that uh, Wizards has been able to lean on you. I mean, if they were to and come to And not just me. Some of the other playtesters, too. Um, there, there are a couple other guys who – and I don't want to reveal them because, uh, because I don't have their permission to. But uh, there's a couple other guys that you, that you guys know from the forums or whatever who have also freelanced in the past who – are staying involved. The playtesters really. I was just. I was just heading up the playtesters. All the playtesters together really had a huge say in how this next wave went off, and and that's how Craig wanted it. That's Wizards responding to 
all, Craig's suggestions. And it seems like from what I've heard talking to Craig, um, all the suggestions he's made, they're really following through with. So they weren't just bluffing when they said that Craig would stay involved and, and that his input would be um, would be valued because they they really have followed through on a lot of that. And one of my biggest fears with the switch over to Wizards was that they were just going to put somebody on. They were just going to pull somebody off of something else and throw them on HeroScape cold turkey. Guys, you know, have them play a couple games of HeroScape, and then all of a sudden they're designing units. And they're after you've had a game out for uh, for you know two three years uh, with a lot of units out like it is. There's a lot of delicate. Uh, balance things that somebody coming straight on sure. might not pick up on. Yeah, if you and, accidentally get a unit that bonds with Q9, you could just ruin <laughs> the game. And that's not that's not the case at all. Henry Stern has come on as kind of like lead designer, but he he's been deferring to the playtesters. Uh, and I don't know if he's getting a feel for the game, and after a couple waves, he'll jump on, or if he's just if he's just going to sit in a place of kind of keeping everything organized and handing out work to some of the freelancers who've been working on the game long term. Either way, uh, Henry Stern has just been fantastic. Maybe you guys will get to meet him at Gen Con. I don't, I don't know, but I, I want to try to have him on the show. But he's just been, he's just been great. He's been like my go-to guy at Wizards, and, um, and i got to give a shout-out to him. Good, and it's great that Craig's still on. It's good for us, and it's good for you know, it's good for him too. A bunch of us have met him in tournaments at Gen Con. Nice guy. So I'm glad he's still involved one way or another with his baby. Yep, it is his baby. You know, you know who on the site I suspect is uh, is an insider, maybe a playtester. Paul Barclay. He stinks. He stinks of insider information. Yeah, indeed, he does. That's that's just he's just been great too. I mean, to come and, you know, when he said that he, would go, he was going to come on the forums, I figure, you know, he would jump on, give a little bit of information, uh, and then, you know, kind of disappear. But, uh, and maybe check in once in a while, but he has been on top of it. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been answering so many of the fans' questions. And such, he's such a just brave been man. such a nice guy. Such a brave guy to venture into that bloated monstrosity that is the <laughs> that official is, Wizards thread. feedback thread. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, dear Paul, if you could be any kind of meatball, what kind would it be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, we definitely appreciate him checking in with us. So, and uh, the good thing is, is too. I mean, we're looking at new material soon. We're looking at uh, Wave Eight. We're looking at Takala uh, Jungle and Akila's uh, Akila's Alliance. So, this is uh, a great time for us because we've right. I would expect both of those horrible both of draws those within a couple months, around June, I think. Yeah. yeah, well, the draw is, is in part because of the switch to Wizards and because Hasbro seemed to be raining back on it, but I don't think that's going to be the case at Wizards. Um, uh, one of the things, again, as an insider, I could tell you, with Wave 9, uh, they, set a, they set a deadline, and we had it in by that deadline. So, And with Hasbro, it was more like there was a lot more him hauling around and a lot of loose deadlines. But with this, we knew what we were shooting for, and we knocked it out within that time. Uh, and... Hopefully that continues, which would mean uh, would mean more reliable product release dates and and such. Yeah, and you know when Wave Eight comes out, there are going to be nerds in the gaming stores rubbing <laughs> these packs in their bodies, going, "Oh God, I've missed it so much." It's uh, we've really been going through withdrawal lately. Yes, I, and and with, again with Wizards, you mentioned gaming stores. Hopefully, I would love to see a lot of local gaming stores have you know. 
hero escape train setups and uh you know i i've always thought that this is the kind of game that could get a a magic the gathering kind of following and uh and now that it's under wizards uh and they've and they're the ones that you know that produce the magic together following uh hopefully they can they can build on on that yeah, in my local game store, the owner uh, plays HeroScape. He collects and plays HeroScape. There isn't a lick of it in his store. Because um, you he can't. Would, yeah, right. it's always been with Hasbro where they couldn't sell it because they couldn't compete. And yeah. Wizards has got some ideas how to get around that, maybe some exclusive product, or or they've, they've got some, some plans. Yeah, and who wouldn't mind giving a little money to their local game store as opposed to Target or Walmart? So. I know a couple of people that would mind, but screw them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There. <laughs> All right, so let's move on from HeroScape and talk about the world of gaming in general, whether it's board gaming, miniature gaming, or war gaming. Let's just uh, step back and take a, a broader look at things. As far as general gaming, I'm pretty excited about another Hasbro release that is on its way. Oh, yes. Uh, and that is the new Risk. I don't know if you've heard about this, but Risk has got a revamp. There's a new version of Risk that's coming out this summer, and it was made by Rob Davio. I got to tell you, I had a chance to play this, and it is just freaking sweet. It is everything Risk always should have been. If you had told people a couple years ago, there's going to be a, a new release of Risk, it's going to change everything, they would have laughed you down. And people are now... <laughs> I think they still are laughing us down, but they will Some. see. They shall see. Some, there's a ton of interest in this new version of Risk right now. No one would have thought that Hasbro was capable of making, you know, doing this kind of an update, but it is exciting. They're doing this Black Ops. They're calling it Risk Black Ops release. What they did is they made a 1,000 copies of the new Risk game with an alternative uh, design scheme, mm-hmm. and they're just, they're just giving all those copies to reviewers, website owners, just different people. They're putting it in the hands of a bunch of different gamers so that way the buzz can start to generate for this new Risk game. Just getting that news out there on the internet or, or, or wherever that, hey, there's a new Risk coming out and, and I've played it because Hasbro sent me this cool Black Ops version and it's really great. And it is. They've done some things to, to really make the game move quick. I heard it's less uh, conquest-based. It's more goal-oriented now. Yeah, what it is is you've got – there's several shared missions. So you have some minor objectives and some major objectives. And you know, a minor objective might be control Africa, and a major objective might be control Asia. Or there might be an objective that says take 10 territories in one turn or control two capitals besides your own. And it's just a ton more fun to try to meet those objectives. And each objective comes with a reward – which will, you know, it might benefit you in battle with an extra uh, die, or it might, you know, give you an airfield that gives you an advantage in in that territory and every territory around it. Huh. Some things like some things like that that are are really cool. It, it just the theme has really grown with these few minor changes, uh, as well as the mechanics. It's just an overall massive success in my eyes. That sounds like the same simple older game we know, just a lot more dynamic now. You still feel risk in it, but it's a lot more dynamic, a lot faster. It gets rid of all risk problems and and adds some new theme and some new mechanics that are just great and innovative. Okay. Yeah, another thing that is going to be coming out soon, which I think gamers should look forward to, if you're um, a miniature gamer, and I assume you are since you're playing Hero Escape, um, Descent has always been a popular uh, a popular game, 
dungeon-style crawl, lots of miniatures, lots of goodies. Um, it, it's been very popular. One of the big complaints about Descent since it, uh, since it came out, though, was the, the feel of it. It's very tactical. It doesn't have uh, a role-playing feel to it. And there's a new set coming out from Fantasy Flight Games uh, called Descent Road to Legend. It completely changes the style of play. It breaks up these really large dungeons into smaller bite-sized chunks, so players have a chance to get more games in or fit in a game here or there. But it also introduces real role-playing elements, letting characters grow bigger, lets the Overlord player grow bigger as well. There's movement over maps. It looks like it's going to completely change and revitalize the game. A game that's already exciting and, and a ton of fun to play just gets better. Yeah, so you're going to take the great uh, tactical aspects of Descent and mix it with a really deep role-playing experience. It looks like it's going to be fantastic. Something to be excited about? I'm definitely looking forward to that. I, I, don't, I only have the base game of Descent, and I haven't gotten any of the expansions, uh, just because we don't get enough playtime, as much playtime as I'd like in with it, but, uh, but that sounds like a must-have expansion for the game. Absolutely. Anytime Fantasy Flight does something, that's usually worth looking at, and uh, the Descent game has been uh, has been fantastic. Well, let's take a, a step back then, uh, and let's look at last year, the year 2007. Uh, 2007 was a great year for gamers. Uh, we had a lot of fantastic stuff, especially if you're of the uh, Ameritrash persuasion, if you enjoy American-style gaming, lots of conflict and player interaction. Uh, we had some great re-releases of classics. We saw Talisman 4th Edition. We saw a re-release of Hannibal, Carthage vs. Rome. Uh, and we got to see new properties come out. Uh, probably the most exciting new property of 2007 was Last Night on Earth. Um, at least if you're the kind of person who enjoys a good dice fest. Fantastic horror movie action. Lots of fun. Very funny, too. Um, but there's another game that came out. It was a really... A uh, big hit for 2007. That was StarCraft the board game by Fantasy Flight Games. And what we decided to do for this podcast was we actually ordered a copy of StarCraft. Actually, we had to order two because Colby got a version and he liked it so much, <laughs> he announced he was not letting it go. <laughs> so he had to order a second one and have it sent to me. So we thought we would play StarCraft, give it a try, and then tell you what we thought. This was kind of a controversial game when it came out, or maybe not controversial, but it made people nervous. StarCraft is one of the greatest real-time strategy games of all time on the PC. It's immensely popular. I think the economy of South Korea is entirely based on StarCraft. <laughs> so it's, it's a big game. It's a big deal, and people wanted to know, what are they going to do with it? Why would you turn it into a board game? What's it going to be like? Is this just, you know, uh, attempted a quick buck? And, yeah, uh, video games into board games... Not don't have a good. great track record. No, a Doom had pretty mixed reviews. So, you know, some people. And World of Warcraft. The World of Warcraft <laughs> is <laughs> the worst game I have ever played in my life. <laughs> Maybe we'll review it later, just so I can fully trash it. Usually, I love everything that comes from Fantasy Flight, and uh, I, I I don't even know who designed it. And he might have some great games, but uh, it. I don't want to get too much into it in case you decide to fully review it, but it, it was just there's a there's an example of a video game board game where where it just didn't work, and and I'm sure there are reasons for that, uh, but <laughs> I, mean, I just was not happy with it. The reasons were it's crap, so 
But uh, not the case with StarCraft. I think we both enjoyed it. So let's let's talk about StarCraft. Uh, first of all, let's talk about what you get in the box. Um, any gamer, especially if you're going to buy a Fantasy Flight game, if you get one of those big coffin-sized boxes, you're expecting to get a lot of junk, a lot of chrome inside. You get a lot of stuff with <laughs> Fantasy Flight games. You get a whole bunch. In fact, if you've never gotten a game before, that first one is awfully special. Because when you open up that box, you crack the plastic, you lift up that tight box, and you're going to think, oh my heavens, you're just going to a ton of stuff to punch out, lots of miniatures to look at. It's pretty exciting. With StarCraft, uh, the first thing you're going to notice are the miniatures. There are a ton of miniatures, and these are beautifully sculpted miniatures. Uh, you've got basically three groups, three different species, the Terrans, the Zerg, and the Protoss. Uh, the Terrans are humans. The Zerg are sort of uh, aliens. Think like from the movie Aliens or if you play 40K, uh, the Tyranids. And then you've got the Protoss who are essentially uh, kind of like space elves, sort of. Uh, so you've got these three different groups, and they're split up into six different factions. Uh, if you've played the game, you pretty much know what to expect with the miniatures. They've got tons of the different, uh, tons of different units from the game, beautifully represented. Uh, these really are gorgeous, gorgeous miniatures. Um, one small complaint about them, though, is the plastic they're cast in. It almost resembles really dense foam. It's very, very soft, so it does get, uh, you know, uh, yield a few bendy, funny, uh, funny miniatures that are sort of leaning in weird poses. But for the most part, these are fantastic playing pieces. Now, I didn't have any problem with weird poses, though they have flying units that are on little clear uh, stick bases so that they hover above the board, but... Uh, and some of those, uh, the plastic that that was made out of, uh, a, a lot of, actually, uh, seven or eight of those came broken in my set. Um, yeah, mine as well. The little plastic uh, base sticks. But I sent off an email to Fancy Flight Games. They got right back to me, were very uh, helpful, and sent those out, sent out replacements right away. So, yeah, from what I've heard, uh, the the broken flying bases is pretty normal in lots of boxes, but it's not a big deal. Uh, they're easily glued back together, but Fantasy Flight has a great track record of replacing damaged or missing parts, so it shouldn't even be considered to be uh, an issue. Okay, so you've got the, the pieces, then you've got these magnificent big board sections, you've got dice, tons of counters, more counters you're going to know what to do with at first, and you've got a giant rule book. So let's talk about uh, a little bit in terms of how does it play? How does it feel like the video game? Uh, well, first of all, you've got all the units that you've seen from the video game, or most of those units. Um, they've even got characters leading them that are taken directly from the video games. Another big part of this game that may, reminds you of the video game is the technology. You've got technology cards, which, like a typical real-time strategy game, you're going to be working on upgrading. You won't have access to everything you want at first. You're going to build things, gain technologies, and be able to make new, bigger, badder, more destructive units, which is a the whole The way they capture that is just fantastic. It really, really works. It works within the game's time limit. It's easy. It, it was very beautifully done because it's been it's been poorly done in the past, and they did it really well. Yeah, sometimes uh, upgrades can be done quite horribly. Sometimes they can be really complex too, and this is done in a very nice, simple, fun manner. And of course, you've got you know unit building as well. Um, just as in the the computer game, you're going to be you know starting off with very little and building up your forces, building up your technology. You only get one type of base, and you can put that base in different territories as you expand. 
But that base includes various buildings. As you upgrade like your base building and get different types of buildings, there's three different types of buildings that each race can get. And then they can upgrade those three times each. So anytime you build a new base, all of that stuff is available there at that base, which really helps. It really works. It feels right. And it, it keeps from getting the board any messier than it is with all those units out there and, and getting any more complex than it has to be. Yeah, it is a fantasy flight game, which means your board's going to get pretty full of stuff. You need a big table to play with. <laughs> You're going to need a big table. But also, in terms of translating this from a video game to a board game, um, there's a lot of neat stuff they did. This is not a direct translation. You're not going to sit down and feel like you're playing the actual video game on your table, which is a good thing. It's important because, yeah, that's where a lot of games that, that try to come over from video games fall short is they try to stick too close to the source material. And a lot of that doesn't translate well because in a video game, you've got you've got a computer uh, – doing all your equations for you, doing all the math for you, doing all the little niggly stuff for you. So if you try to translate directly into a board game, you end up with the player having to do a lot of stuff, and you're slowing down your game, and you're making it, you know, work. Yeah, translating a video game is should be a lot like translating a book to a movie. You know, you can do it, anyone can do it, but you should always ask why. What, what is this translation going to do for the viewer? Why, why bother having a movie if you've already got the book? And the really good translations from book to screen tend to offer up something new, and that's exactly what this game does. You get the Star Trek feel. You feel... Um, Star Trek? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Star Trek. That's what I said. I stand by it My 100%. Vulcan nerve pinches you for plus four damage. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I had to reveal a little nerd there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it feels like StarCraft. You've got the figures. You've got fast, fun combat. But at the same time, it's a completely new experience. Uh, first of all, this is not just one little battlefield where you're building lots of stuff and having guys fight over it. This is war on a, you know, a more uh, galactic scale. You've got lots of planets. You're moving troops from different areas. And uh, so it's definitely got a much bigger scope to it, much bigger feel. doesn't have the micro details the video game does, but the experience when you come when you walk away from it is you just played StarCraft, and there's no mistaking that. So let's talk, uh, let's talk about how it plays. Uh, basically, the, the game takes place over several rounds. Uh, players get to place and execute orders. Orders are a big part of this game. Um, I think it wouldn't be too alien for anyone who's been playing HeroScape. But the orders are interesting in the sense that they do require some forward thinking. You've got to be aware of what's going on and think about what moves you want to, um, what things you want to do later on during the game. And I love pre-planning in a game. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite mechanics. You have to know what you're going to do four turns from now at the beginning of a round. Because the round's got four turns in it. You have four orders in, in a given round. So the first order that you're placing is going to, is, is likely going to be one of the last orders that you're going to be able to execute. Because when you place an order, you're placing it on a planet, and and you have to execute that order on that planet. But another player can then come along and place an order on top of yours. So you're not going to have access to that to your order until that other player who placed on top of yours has played his order. So there's, a lot, there's also some cool aspects of... I, I, I'm a bit of a jerk. When somebody would place an order on a planet that I could tell was important to them, they're getting to a critical stage. I would place one of my last orders on top of their order 
and, and then would make sure the other orders were open and would just would just hold that there to hold them off. Well, you know, well, I evacuated a planet or whatever I needed to do to escape them or just to screw with them. Yeah, the use of orders is fantastic. And there's definitely a great screw with the other players uh, uh, mentality that goes along with it. it. One thing worth noting is it is a part of the game that will probably take new players a little bit longer. There um, is a steep learning curve. Yeah, new players, are, when they realize what's involved with placing orders, you're going to see them really slow down at first as they try and think it through and as they tear their hair out. But it's once likely got, you're going to screw up uh, your first couple of rounds. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of, why did I do that to myself when you first get going? Um, that said, though, once people have played this a, a little bit, played a couple of games, uh, it won't take that long and there won't be much downtime. Really, the, the worst downtime is probably during the order <laughs> marker placing. I really think you just you have to have a couple of the players play through one game, and then after that, then your second game is beautiful. Once a few of them know what they're doing, the game really moves along. There's multiple paths to victory for every player, and the game has like this self-timer in it. There's an event card deck, and what it is is as you draw off of that deck throughout the game, the cards become more powerful. There's a, there's a level 1, a level 2, and a level 3. Uh, and when you're first drawing, you're getting level one cards, and then when they run out, you end up you're, you're into the level two cards, and then when they run out, you're into the level three cards. And each level offers more powerful events for you as you play them. Um, but also, once you get down into the level threes, there's cards that say the end draws nigh, and when when you have one of those, you have to play it at the end of that round. And once there's two of those in play, then the game's over, which which is great because Games like this, in, the, in this vein, have been known to, to run into situations where they just become agonizingly long. And that's yeah. not the case with this. Yeah, plenty of the old big games, especially back in the 80s, games like Titan, they would be massive and on this scale, but they never really figured out how to end the game. Uh, this game doesn't do that. It's got a nice self-timer. There's um, multiple ways to win. You know, it could be through player elimination, which is kind of hard if you have big games, but through victory points, goals... Um, it's that's fantastic. Lots of different ways for you to approach how you want to win the game. Uh, and then there's combat, of course. With StarCraft, there's going to be a big combat focus. And the combat surprised me. I tend not to like games that resolve combat through cards. Um, that's not usually a mechanic I like. But it really works in StarCraft. Um, it's fast, uh, it's easy, and it's really satisfying, too, when you walk away from it. Uh, the, the speed of it is actually what I really liked. I liked, sometimes in games like Twilight Imperium, um, the combat can get a little bogged down. The rest of the game can kind of screech to a halt. And uh, with this, it, it, you're resolving it really fast. It's over really quickly. I like different mechanics. I like something that's going to offer something new. And this is a diceless combat system. Uh, you're playing just just cards. So it also... It's unique in that a lot of these types of games are dice fests, and I love a dice fest. You know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of HeroScape, but this really, this really offers something different. There's there's a lot less luck in in your choices because you're not you know you're not depending on a die roll. So overall, with uh, overall with StarCraft, I would have to say I was very satisfied with it. 
Uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. I was really worried when it first came out. A lot of people said, "Well, this is gonna be just like Twilight Imperium, another big fantasy flight game." And it really isn't. There's similarities. It is a big con- you know conquer space kind of game, um, but it's much faster. It's considerably faster. It rewards a lot of aggressive play, which I like. There's there's no turtling in this game. There's no easy way to sit back, camp, and just build stuff. Yeah, you will you will be attacked whether you like it or not. So if you like uh, American-style board games, if you like Ameritrash, this would be a definite buy. Um, there's lots of aggression. There's lots of um, player interaction. They'll certainly be haggling and negotiating from time to time as alliances are made and broken. Um, it's just a good time. It's a lot of fun. So I would definitely recommend this game. So all in all, I would give StarCraft the board game an 8 out of 10, and I would recommend it as a definite buy. Colby, how do you feel? I gave it the same, actually, an 8 out of 10. Uh, it's a must-buy if you're into this style of game. It is it is complex. It is a little longer than than it's a, it's on the longer side of general board gaming. It's on the shorter side for the type of game it is, but it is on the longer side, you know, overall for a board game. Um, will take you a couple hours to complete. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, if this isn't your style of board game, then you wouldn't want to buy it. Go get a Agricola or something and have fun raising sheep and pigs and things like that. <laughs> uh, for me, I prefer fighting games. This is this is the stuff that I am looking for. Now, to celebrate this new uh, this new podcast, we had a fantastic idea. I've got this lovely copy of StarCraft here in my home, and I'd be perfectly happy to keep it. But Truth had an idea. He said, what if we sent this out to some lucky listener... And, uh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we're going to have a little contest on HeroScapers.com, and one lucky winner is going to receive our test copy, our second test copy of StarCraft (laughs) the board game. So here's how we're going to do it. Uh, We could just simply make a thread that says, you know, post here if you want to get into the contest. But I think I like to make it a little different. I want to reward people who listen to the podcast. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a thread on Heroescapers entitled, I Like the Color Purple. And I'm going to make a post that says, I Like the Color Purple. Everyone who listens to this should go into that thread and make a follow-up post that says, I also like the color purple. And it has to say, I also like the color purple. It has to be spelled correctly. Everyone who does that will be entered into the contest. We'll pick someone at random. And they will, uh, someone will be able to win this test copy of StarCraft the board game, literally only used two or three times. So uh, check out HeroScapers.com, look for that contest thread, and make sure you get your post in so you can have a chance to win this great game and save yourself quite a bit of money to boot. It's like an $80 retail. $80 retail, yeah. Uh, something like that. It's certainly $80 worth of heavy. It's uh, <laughs> probably cost eighty dollars just to ship the game to you. So. <laughs> yes, free shipping. Be sure it's going to pay for your shipping. That's right. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to ship it. You might not care for the condition it comes in. He's going to ship it piece by piece, every That's... piece sealed individually in a Ziploc bag. Once a month, you're going to receive one of the 180 miniatures. <laughs> A couple, uh, two other things I'd like to mention about our new podcast format. You're probably wondering, where's the guest? Uh, In the past, there have been sections where I've had guests come on. Um, You've heard me on there, Han, Grunge Bob, lots of different folks uh, come on. Um, You'd hear, heard uh, Colby interview them. We've usually had our lightning rounds to go along with it. So you're wondering, where where are the guests? Well, 
With the new format, we're going to try things a little bit differently. Instead of putting guests on the spot, it'd be more fun to do uh, what I think people would enjoy more, would be just to have the guests on with us throughout the entire podcast and just chat with us. So rather than giving someone um, a few minutes with the, you know, to, to tell everything they might want to tell or for you to get to know them better, we'll keep them with us on for the whole podcast, and that way they can add their experience, thoughts, uh, bizarre sense of humor, or what have you, to the cast. I think you're going to find that to be a more satisfying experience overall. Uh, we'll get folks from Heroescapers.com. Who knows? Maybe down the line we can get some, uh, some other celebrities uh, to join us too. It won't be an interview-type format like it has been in the past. It won't be one of us asking them a bunch of different questions. Instead, you know, we're talking about Risk Black Ops today. So they would join us, and if they have some input on Risk Black Ops, they would just chat along with us. So, so it's like an additional co-host sort of thing. Right, and it'll be better than putting them on the spot and the, the lightning round while amusing. Uh, it only has so much use as you can get out of it before it just starts to become annoying. Um, if you miss the lightning round, you can go ahead and create your own. Just make up some random questions you can ask yourself. Um, just take, grab one subject, like, say, walruses, then mix it with a completely other subject, such as, say, the manufacturing of paper boxes. Make a funny question, there you go. <laughs> There's the lightning round. So we, we can't do that forever, though, because after a while it does get, uh, does get a little old. Uh we may have lightning rounds in the future for very special guests. We might want to put them on the spot. All right. Well, then scratch what I just said. We'll uh, edit that part out. It's part, of the, it's, part of the, uh, it's part of the appeal of the show, I think. I think oh, people see, like the lightning rounds. See, I was worried that it was getting a little too old. Wait, did you think it was getting too old? No, but I'm so – my problem is is I never think anything is getting too old, so I, <laughs> I carry a joke long past. When it's, maybe it's, maybe that will be part of our section of the show. I think we still need to have somewhat putting guests on the spot. All right. Well, then we'll, I think they should fear us. I think it's important uh, to keep our dominance over them. All right. <laughs> Why do you support the Colombian government's uh, <laughs> aggression against Venezuela? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. All right, well, edit that part out. I'm a liar. And uh, <laughs> uh, where did we leave off then? I'm well, gonna... um, we wanted to talk about oh, if you have questions or thoughts that you want to you want us to discuss on the show, email us. We're gonna do a listener email section in the future where we will take emails that have been emailed to the show and we will read them and then discuss. So if you have questions to ask or you have thoughts on a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, uh, send your emails to scapetalk at gmail.com. Yep, we look forward to hearing from you guys. We look forward to be able to read some of the viewer mail. Uh, you know, Colby, we've actually already gotten some viewer mail. Oh, is, mail. That, is, that, is that so? Yes, they've, uh, they've offered to get us uh, prescriptions from uh, Mexico and Canada on the cheap. Uh, <laughs> As well as a few emails I actually can't repeat here, but it's good to know people are listening to us. <laughs> so let's, uh, on heroescapers.com right now, we've got a new article on the front page. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, podcast in the future, just check the archives. It'll still be there. There's an interesting article called Embrace the Suck, uh, a, a very interesting article uh, written by one of our own heroescapers. Uh, I'm not really sure how you pronounce his name, it's um, R.D. Height, 
I'm not sure how you how you say that. But basically what his article says is that a lot of these maligned units, these units that uh, people don't like, they think they're too expensive, or they don't like their powers, are necessary parts of the game. Um, and he's got a number of different arguments that he uses to support this idea. And it's probably one of the most interesting articles we've had on the front page in a while. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something I want to do more of uh, is including people who posted on the forum and make quality posts. I'd like to bring more of those to the front page. And it's it's usually just it's something that's getting buzz or whatever that I want to bring more attention to. Um, and I hope to do more of that in the future. You can always PM me if you've got if you know if you see something that you like and you think is is front page worthy. Um, I always appreciate that. It helps it helps alert me to. The quality stuff out there if I missed it. One of the things that I like about the article is that he talks about the fact that some units are going to behave perhaps a little bit worse than others or not be as obvious as others. He talks about how that unit selection is an important part of the game, choosing which units are going to work best together, uh, work best together, and how a good player is able to quickly look through units and actually pick the ones that he thinks are going to work the best. That's very true, and normally we think that each unit is somehow supposed to be equally beneficial to the game, but maybe that's not necessarily true. Maybe if each unit was equally beneficial, then the game wouldn't actually be as interesting. There'd be less analysis, less planning. He has a lot of cool points, and, and, uh, you know, I don't think that any of the designers, in fact, I know none of the designers or, or, Play testers go into a unit thinking, mm, how how can we miscost this unit for? We need at least just, one just crap unit this. for this release. <laughs> the ideal is that uh, as a designer, as a play tester, you go in wanting to cost a unit appropriately. It doesn't always happen exactly like that because uh, you know, over, just a few play testers and designers, you know, they might get in, you know, a few dozen uh, games with these units and, and then they have to base a lot of their assumptions based on those handful of games. Whereas once a product hits the market, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people playing, uh, dozens and dozens of games with these. You're talking about tournament play structures. Uh, a lot of analysis goes in by a lot of people when a unit hits the market. So that's a, that's a lot of feedback coming in, that that you just you can't recreate that with with just a, a few playtesters. As I've had a bigger uh, impact on the game, one of the things that I'm doing is bringing on. And please don't PM me asking if you can be one of them. They've already been decided. <laughs> I'll um, cancel my PM. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring on uh, a few more playtesters uh, to really up the amount of data that we're having put into each unit. But basically, not every unit is going to end up being perfect, and all it takes is is just a couple of units that that for whatever reason during test player design we didn't realize how much potential they really have, and then once players realize how much potential they have and start using them to their full potential, uh, you realize that hey, these are pretty powerful, and some of them are from the first master are from the very first master set before there was any real um, 
you know, there's very little to analyze based off of some of the some of the units that are really good, like the Krav Maga and um, Raylan the Kyrie Warrior, the first edition, um, mm-hmm. are, are really powerful units. And Raylan, who will be seen in every tournament hereafter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that it, it was just too early on to to realize, you know how truly devastating they could be. And the same holds true for Deathwalker, you know, in the, in the reverse, you know, uh, right. I don't think that his glass draw was so emphasized so early on as it is now with a lot of units that can bypass defense or whatever. Uh, right. Ideally all units would, would be right in the middle and you wouldn't have this min maxing, so to speak. When I first bought my master set, uh, Deathwalker 9000 was probably in every army I made. I think that's um, a lot of us. A lot yeah. of us came out nine defense. I loved him. This guy's I a know. beast. You sure, know? you laughed off when sometimes he died. But now I Now you realize pro- he loves to die. <laughs> we he, have I whole, think he's like, got fan dust fiction all devoted over to it. Yeah. The problem isn't so much like that, oh, these units really suck. It's that we have just a few units that are really great and see a ton of playtime that emphasizes um, some of the problems. But the, the reason why I like the article is because despite that, despite the, that there are a few out there that, that emphasize costing problems um, and, and end up seeing too much tournament play or whatever, despite all that, he pointed out some great reasons to embrace all units. Uh, and and I think that was really great. Now, and one of the more recent, like, philosophies that craig has kind of imparted to us is it's better to overcost a unit and then because it's easier to come out with something that boosts that unit than it is to have a unit that's uh too powerful and uh, and it's much harder to bring out something that quelches a unit sure well when we, we can look at other uh, things that have you know come out in the past um but q9 is a good example where he is a little undercosted it would be really tough to sort of you know, make something that would level him out a bit without really changing things in general. Q9 was simply, uh, it was a time in Heroescape where heroes weren't getting enough cred. You know, people like, what is it? It should be called Squadscape. You know, squads are so much better than heroes. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so when that large hero pack, Ragnar's Vision, came out, I think that the designers and playtesters felt they needed to put an emphasis on making heroes, you know, more worthy of of a draft. And Q9, I think, just happened to maybe get a little overcompensation. You know, we'll continue to to build the game in such a way that we'll try to balance all that out, you know. Um, but I think the future only only sees things getting better. You don't want to, but you don't want to cost units so that oh well this unit's just as good as Raylan the Krav Maga on Q9. You don't want to do that because then because then it's it's a power creep issue. It's a whole like it just alienates more of the other units further. And really, compared to uh, so many other miniature games out there, we've had considerably less of that than despite any other game I've played that's collectible. Uh, you know, like like Heroescape. Really, like my big call to embrace the suck is. Friggin' quit being so concerned with winning every game and just have some fun. Select a unit because you want to have fun with that unit rather than because you feel like it's got the best chance of dominating. Right. You don't have to play tournament-style games every time you play. Tournaments are great for what they are, but when you're at home, you're playing with friends, 
you should be having fun. And there's so many great ways that you can balance uh, figures out. Um, a lot of times when I build scenarios and I have friends over, is I choose what figures will be in the scenario. So I can have something like Deathwalker 9000 out on the table, because I know there's no one in that particular mix opposing him who could cheat him of his already dubious um, <laughs> defense. So there's a lot of great ways to get all the figures somehow into the game and uh, and have fun with it. Winning only means so much. Yeah, you definitely want to try to win, but if it's at the expense of having fun, it's pointless. Because at the end of the day, you're just uh, just one person playing a little game. And, um, you know, what does a win really mean anyway? Right. you got to have fun with it. That's what Heroescape is all about. If you're not having fun, you're not. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> You're yeah. doing something wrong, yes. <laughs> so so if you don't like seeing uh, Q9 on the table every time, you know, talk to your buddies and be like, hey, let's not friggin' play with Q9 today. How <laughs> <laughs> about we give it a rest? <laughs> <laughs> so embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. Let's talk about you a little bit more, because you just sort of revealed to everyone that you've been uh, working with uh, previously Hasbro, now which is the coast, and you've said things like you've uh, written bios, right? I got a decent amount of work, um, thanks to Craig. He just, you know, I came on as a playtester, and, uh, you know, started mixing it up there, and, uh, you know, Craig challenged me to write a, a, a bio, for for some for some of the bios, he's like, you know, why don't you try your hand at that? And I never fancied myself a writer at all, um, but you know, I I relished the challenge, so I, I wrote some stuff up, and he really liked it, and and so that led to more work in that vein, and 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 in some other stuff, and now with the transition to wizards, it's led to even more, which is all you know, sitting on cloud nine. Let me ask, how often in the bios, do you ever use the bios to hint at other stuff that we might be seeing later on in the future? Yeah, I think that that's kind of a, something that's been... I guess what I'm asking is, do you purposefully look towards the future, or do you just end up writing cool stuff that later on gets incorporated? It's a little of both. There's kind of been a standard set for me that, hey, in some of these writings, you should hint future units. And and that standard's been set because when it gets done, the fans at Heroescapers, which is really the only feedback that we get, is um, or the I shouldn't say only, but it's it's the greatest amount of feedback I get personally, anyhow. But um, and and Heroescapers love to to see oh you know could this be a future unit oh that would be so cool, um, and other times. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but it's been discussed the possibility of I'll just write in a character because I need a character there. And the possibility has definitely been discussed of those characters eventually making it onto the board. You know, everything's anything's possible uh, as far as that goes. It's been fun. It's definitely been fun. I've, I've definitely put my heart and my passion into the writings. I, I've always thought that that that's an important part of Heroescape. I know some people disagree and think that you know theme doesn't really mean nothing, but theme is theme is important to me in a game. And I know it's important to others, and I had, I had always felt like there needed to be more of that. So I really tried to bring it when when I started started writing. Tried to really develop things, give the characters some depth and and things like that. And not everybody has been a fan. Not everybody's been a fan. Um, the biggest complaint, or the most, uh, not the biggest complaint, but 
the complaint that happens the most often is, well, the old bios were so much more uh, bio-like, you know, um, you know, Johnny Shotgun Sullivan comes from Dry Gulch, you know, whatever. And and I I decided to take a different direction on that. Um, I wanted to do, I wanted to be different with with each bio, and and not each bio can be completely unique. But I wanted to do some different things. I didn't want everything to be the same. I wanted the the reader to, and I and it was important to me that the reader came away entertained. So. On some of the things I would do, you know, a, a classic bio style. On other things, I, w- I would be like, well, you know, I want to develop Alpha Prime and I want to use this bio um, and these characters to help that, to help give a window into what Alpha Prime, the plan of the Soulborgs, is all about. And other ones, I just I wanted to give a window into the world of Heroescape and, and I felt like the best way to do that was to do it in a present tense vignette of a character, you know, the character in action or something, because I think that that has just as much, personally, I think it has just as much value as knowing some past history, giving some kind of word picture visualization of this unit on the board. He's no longer just a piece of plastic, but you can kind of see him doing these these actions and these things. Well, a big part of the kind of games we play, including miniature games, is the theme is not tacked on. The theme is an important part of the game. Um, so, yeah, I think most people who play this kind of game enjoy there being a narrative, whether it's one they're creating or one that's also there in the background, too. Thorman's Journal is a great place for that. I'm waiting for that to pick back up, hopefully after Wizards takes over the website, April 1st, I think. Um, we'll see We'll see what happens with that. That kind of I've got a lot more written than what's what's currently on the website. I'm... Uh, I'm I I was a ways out before before it ever switched from Hasbro. Um, I was a ways out in the journal. So um, and that's that's really the driving storytelling thing. I, I like to use the bios to supplement that and really add story and entertainment to value to the fiction. Um, but Thorman's journal really drives the overall what's going on in the world of of Valhalla. It drives that story. Yeah, you know, it's good. And people mean some people may not care for it. It may not be their thing. They don't need it. But I think most folks appreciate it. And in the past, many other games that use uh, theme and they write their own fluff to go along with their games, uh, it's been proven it sells. People like it. People will try and collect as much of it as they can. Just an example of of like the vignette style that I was talking about. Um, just small uh, looks into the world. Uh, a lot of people didn't like that because it wasn't really like, oh, what is this character all about? And even that I don't think is 100% true because, you know, if you're telling a story with that character, you start to get a feel for that, what that character is about. You might not know, oh, where did he come from? How old is he? Um, what color is his eyes? Uh, but that stuff I don't think is important. I, I, I just I just don't. Um, you know, if, if I work it in because it fits in the story or whatever, fine, but... Um, I think what a majority of people, or what I hope a majority of people want, is just something with a little bit of character depth. Uh, but, you know, and also just tying on to what you said, too, you know, reading the old bios where it just almost gives a person stats, or here's what they did in their old planet, it only does so much. I mean, saying that, okay, someone was a soldier in World War II, they fought really brave, they were great and all that, is fine, but it doesn't fit them into the world they're currently in. And that's probably that's really where it matters most. That's where you need more understanding of who or what they are. 
And frankly, I'm not as interested in someone's World War II story as I am in the world where people are flying around throwing lava and stuff like that. We are talking about a world where people are flying around and throwing lava and stuff. So it's hard to do well. You see a lot of uh, stuff that is fantasy that is just not um, not done well, like a lot of B movies or whatever, where it's just corny. But and then you see some stuff where. where the writer really captures you and brings you into that that fantastical world. Like a Lord of the Rings and then Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring movies is a perfect example of really making you believe that world, I guess. And I think that the key to doing it is character development. If you can relate to this character, then I can bring this to life for you. That and just extreme but kickery is is important to me. Like I I I've been I like to write action because that's what the game is all about is is action and I want to paint this visual picture of this character that you love to play with just kicking some major butt. Okay, well thanks for sharing that with us because uh, certainly that's not something any of us would have guessed before. I mean, everyone sort of knows that you know you're you're definitely in on stuff. You hear about things first, uh, a lot of information shared with you, but we didn't know you were so intimately a part of the of the HeroScape design or development process. That's pretty interesting. So thanks for listening to our uh, new podcast, or at least the the new format. Uh, we hope you uh, will find it satisfying, especially with the next uh, episodes to come. We're going to be doing this on a monthly basis. So you're going to hear a lot more guests, you're going to hear more game reviews, and even more importantly, more HeroScape news. So don't forget, send us some letters. We definitely want to hear from everyone. The address is scapetalk at gmail.com. And also don't forget to watch the boards for the I Enjoy the Color Purple thread that will be appearing. Uh, Don't forget, this is probably going to confuse some folks, so sit back, enjoy the fact that you are registered in a StarCraft contest, and are at the same time confusing the heck out of other people on the boards. Alright? So until next time, this is Mr. Bistro. And this is Screaming Truth. And your life has no meaning. That could be his signature. Like, we just say something really mean at the end of every podcast. That would be awesome. Your mother doesn't love you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Your mother lied. You're not special. <laughs> I, I like it. Like, okay. we, we, we... <laughs> Oh. It brings a sudden edge to the show that wasn't there previously. <laughs> It's really pretty genius. Like, you end the show with a little negative affirmation. That's right. Because <laughs> it's going along fine. It's pleasant conversation at the very end. You're crap. <laughs> All right. That stays. <laughs>